Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. On today's show, we'll recap Cleveland's win over Boston to even the Eastern Conference Finals and if the Cavs have taken control of the series. Then we'll talk about if Luka Doncic and his EuroLeague title will help his draft stock and preview tonight's pivotal Game 4 between the Warriors and the Rockets. It's Locked On NBA. Thank you so much for listening and for subscribing. Now let's get to the show. Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm a credentialed writer covering the NBA for the Step Back. You can find me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Romillo, credentialed NBA writer who's covered the league at large for SB Nation and Fansided. You can follow me and my writing on Twitter at DRomel13. On today's show, we'll talk about who should be the number one pick in the NBA draft. DeMarcus Cousins' future in New Orleans, and then preview Game 4 between the Warriors and Rockets. But first, let's recap the Cavaliers' win over the Celtics from Monday night. LeBron James went off for 44 points as he carried the Cavs to a 111-102 to win over the Celtics to tie the series 2-2. LeBron, David, was predictably great. Uh, but I also thought that the Cavs as a whole just outplayed the Celtics. They had a game plan. They executed it. They set good screens, got the switches that they wanted and found a way to attack Boston and put LeBron in the best position possible for him to put up those 44 points. It was another blowout win uh, in a playoff full of blowout wins. Uh, but again, I thought that the Cavaliers came out and just executed their game plan perfectly. See, I got to disagree, though, as far as the blowout factor. Like, they won by nine, right? I mean, it was a lot closer. It felt like... Mm. Arguably, you could say that Cleveland had control of the game for most of it. But give Boston credit, they were trying to keep it tight there for most of the second that, half. That's fair. That's fair. It was I should not say blowout. It wasn't like a 31-point win, but it was... <laughs> I mean, but you're right. Cleveland did control the game the entire time. So I should say it wasn't, it wasn't the competitive game that we've been waiting for between either of the Eastern Conference teams or even the Western Conference teams, for that matter. It's yeah. just none of these games have been all that competitive, but... Chalk that up to LeBron from the moment the game started to when it stopped, just controlling the game, absolutely dominated it. Now, I think, you know, as great as LeBron's performance was, he clearly had some support there from the role players playing their role. And I think that was the difference. And it's been the difference in the two Cleveland victories as opposed to the two Boston wins. Uh, you know, Tristan Thompson started off the game particularly aggressive, looking for his shot. He had four field goal attempts within the first couple of minutes. Kyle Korver just exploded in the second quarter there. I think he hit his first four shots there to complete nine in a row from the game before. Uh, George Hill played another solid game, 13 points overall for him. Just a really nice game from those, uh, you know, like I said, those role players contributing Playing hard defense, for the most part. I mean, there were some lapses there, particularly, mm-hmm. like I said, in the second half. When Boston seemed to figure out the cadence a little bit better, they really started to get a little bit more aggressive and start to push Cleveland, and that's how they were able to cut what was, I think, a one-point, almost a 20-point lead down to eight. Uh, and then, like I said, keep it tight from for most of the second half. But but those role players really stepping up and, and you know doing the little things, as you pointed out, the screens, grabbing rebounds fantastic outlet pass in the first quarter from Kevin Love. What, what, that was one of the finest plays I've seen all playoffs long. I mean, that was... A, oh, and when, when LeBron just went up and, and Randy Mossed the entire Celtics roster. That's exactly right, yeah. Great, great look. You saw Kevin Love, like, I, in the replay, he just puts this spin on the ball, and it was perfectly timed. 
really, really in, in, synchrony, in synchronization there. I, I really appreciated that. I, that's a nice play. A simple one, perhaps, but a really nice one nonetheless. Either way, the point being, Cleveland got some key contributions from everybody, not named LeBron, and we're still able to withhold a pretty strong second-half effort from Boston. And, you know, on the same side of that, like Boston being on the road, their role players did not step up, right? In this game or the last the last two games, really, I mean, you you think about somebody like Terry Rozier, for example, who you know went off in that Philadelphia series, had a sh- had a decent showing in the in the first two games in Boston of this series, but in the last um, th- two games in Cleveland, just hasn't been nearly as effective. This this game went this six was, to fifteen for just sixteen points. It was his best road game, I think, of the playoffs. Though, like this was a phenomenal effort from Rozier in comparison to the other games where he's been on the road. Like he plays so much better in Boston. It's not even funny. And then tonight, right. I mean, sixteen points. I think that eclipses whatever he's been able to score on the road so far. But on fifteen shots, sure, I mean, yeah, a little, a little. I thought yeah. it was an, and he got attacked, and, and to no fault of his own, but got attacked by LeBron, but. You know, 16 points, nothing, you know, a, a good game for, for him considering how poorly he's played on the road. Yes. But in general, not enough to match LeBron and the 44 points that he, he put up. You look at a guy like Jalen Brown, uh, I thought he obviously had a really strong first couple of games. Again, in Boston, right. at home, 23 points in both of those games, really efficient, doing a lot of different things. Uh, made a number of mistakes tonight. Finished with 25 points, but on 23 shots. He was kind of like, you know, he... The Celtics have had a game plan of letting Jalen Brown basically give him giving him the green light because at the end of the day that makes LeBron work a little bit harder because LeBron is matched up against him mostly. Mm-hmm. So I get that, but an inefficient scoring night from him. And then Jason Tatum, who has been you know the wonder kid that everybody wanted to talk about just about a week, a week or two ago, has basically been you know a lot less lost a few teeth, so to speak, in these last two games. Hasn't been quite the assassin, the sniper, the scorer that Boston has needed him to be and has sort of taken a step back and disappeared a little bit. Had 17 points on 13 shots tonight. Not bad, but just not, you know, not the number one scoring threat that they've needed and that he's, quite frankly, been for most of these playoffs for the Celtics. So, you know, for Boston, those those role players on the road didn't didn't play up to the level that, that they needed them to. And for the Cavaliers, their role players at home. I mean, is it so? Sim- is it too simple, David, to say that you know both of these teams split the home games or, or won their home games? And does it just come down to role players play better at home? It shouldn't be the case, right? I, I think you would expect uh, you know the guys in Boston in particular to step up on the road, uh, you know, knowing that they're a little youngish perhaps, but still showing talent for most of the season, showing the ability to come up in, in clutch situations there. I mean, look at a guy like Al Horford. He, he's a, a veteran. You, there's no excuse for him playing a, a somewhat inefficient game. Also, he finished 5 of 13 for just 15 points. And there were just a, a number of times there where he just looked out of sorts, particularly defensively. We've expected some big things from him. And so there's no excuse there for that kind of behavior. He's not a, a typical role player in that sense. He should have had a bigger game. He, he's the kind of player that needs to step up and fill those voids and kind of set the pace. It, it shouldn't fall on the, on the shoulders of Jalen Brown or, or even Tatum to kind of pick up the slack there. So I, I put that more on a guy like Horford to, to be able to step up in games like that. And, you know, as far as Cleveland's role players, uh, you know, they, they've been inconsistent all season. And, you know, obviously they've yeah. ever since the, the, you know, the second half of the season and, and the trade deadline 
acquisitions of several players there, the turnover of that Cavaliers roster. It's just fitting in players to see who works best alongside LeBron James. But George Hill, I think, is a guy who really needed to step up, and he's shown over the last couple of games that in, I think he's uh, a capable scorer, also a pretty solid defender overall, and just made some really good plays. And Tristan Thompson, you can't say enough a, about a nice, that performance. A nice, oh, Tristan Thompson, unbelievable. Like, his activity between him and George Hill, I mean, they're but Clay for or Tristan Thompson's activity was was so pivotal for that game mm-hmm. because he was especially early on just a lot of rebounds. He blocked a bunch of shots from behind. He had that one great block um, on Terry Rozier yep. right at the rim, and and those blocks led directly to LeBron James getting points at the basket on the on the on the next on the other side of the floor. So you know instead of saving two points, it's it's a four point swing in that case. Um, his activity was great. George Hill, he's got a nice two-man game working with LeBron. And just to sort of go back to those adjustments that the, the Cavaliers made, forcing Boston, no, or knowing Boston is going to switch everything, yeah. forcing Boston's weakest defenders to basically play LeBron. Right. Or, and in some instances, Kevin Love, who had not fine, you know, he, it seemed like he had a better night than what he did. He, had, he went 3 of 12 from the field for 9 points, but was really impactful otherwise. Had 11 rebounds, 3 assists. Um, but, you know... The Cavaliers got the matchups they wanted by forcing the switches that they wanted to force, and I think going forward, Boston's going to have to reconcile that. They're not going to, and they and Brad Stevens to his credit did in the fourth quarter. You know, Terry Rozier kept getting pinned on the block against LeBron. Uh, in the fourth quarter, Stevens started to, um, you know, I guess instructed Rozier to just come off of LeBron and let Aaron Baines or Al Horford like kind of scuttle over to LeBron yeah. or Kevin Love or whichever big was was on him and try to take over that assignment. And maybe that's what we see a little bit more of in Game 5 when it goes back to Boston. But I want to ask, before we move on here, have the Cavaliers sort of have they just... It seems like against Toronto, they figured out what worked against Toronto and attacked that and just ended up obliterating them in four games. Now, this isn't quite what that is, but they have won the last two games. And LeBron looks LeBron-like. And the Cavaliers are kind of, you know firing on all cylinders here do you think that the Cavaliers here have figured out sort of the Celtics and maybe have taken control of the series no I don't actually I, I honestly think that this could continue to be a series that Boston can win uh, I think there were enough lapses there from Cleveland they played some sloppy basketball particularly in the second half and if it wasn't for the fact that they built that pretty commanding lead early on I'm not sure that they could have held off the Celtics who who really seemed to figure out like I said a rhythm to when to attack the basket when to put up the perimeter shot so to me and you can't discount also the fact that uh, Marcus Morris was in foul trouble he's been a a pretty Mm. solid defender a guy who can disrupt things uh, for, for LeBron James he picked up five cheap fouls there. He only played 24 minutes. So if he's in the game a little bit longer and able to have a little bit more control with with uh, you know uh, on LeBron, I think he might be able to limit him a little bit more than what we saw tonight. Uh, to be honest with you, I think uh, Boston will go back and, and and keep pace with what they've done all all postseason long. They'll win at home and and be able to knock off Cleveland again and then put it back on the Cavs' shoulders to try and find a way to win in Game Six. Yeah, I think the Cavaliers I, and I. I've been steadfast in picking the Cavaliers in this series, regardless of what the the series was at. Yeah. You know, even when they were down 0-2, I just I still think LeBron's going to figure out a way to to get this thing and go back to the NBA Finals. But I, in even though I'm confident in saying that, I, I'm reluctant to say they've taken control of the series. If that makes any sense, yeah. um, I just 
I, I trust Brad Stevens. I trust the Celtics got role players to perform better at home. And like you said, they've been so good at home. I just it's going to be a really good game five. Is all I could is all I know for sure. I think, or you know what? I don't even know that for sure with the way <laughs> these playoffs have gone. Boston might blow them out by thirty. Who knows? Um, the NBA draft combine wrapped up in Chicago last weekend, but the potential top pick was busy playing overseas. We'll look at who should be the number one pick next. But first, a quick reminder to make sure that you're subscribed to Locked On NBA to get the podcast every day. Think of it as your bite-sized briefing for the most important stories around the league, and keep it here for daily updates on everything going on in the conference finals and the offseason. So subscribe to Locked On NBA or on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We'll preview tonight's game between the Warriors and Rockets later on, but let's get to some NBA draft talk, David. Luka Doncic. Considered one of the top two prospects in the draft, led Real Madrid to the EuroLeague title, won the MVP. Should he be the number one pick? I think so. I think it's, as you pointed out, a two-man race between him and DeAndre Ayton over at the University of Arizona, the mm-hmm. former Wildcat. After one year, um, he's a, a good chance to be picked by Phoenix, so first overall, should the Suns retain that pick. But... I just like Doncic's upside. I think he's a versatile player, a guy that I've seen some Suns people, you know, pigeonhole either at, at the point guard position, maybe playing alongside Devin Booker if he can slide over to the guard, you know, at another guard position, or maybe even playing as a small forward, a guy who, like LeBron James, perhaps creates a lot of offense, does a lot of different things, maybe a Ben Simmons light there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's he's got a lot of skills. He's in, well in control for such a young player. He's played at a high level in Europe. I know some people have discounted that experience because it's uh, maybe a little bit more watered down. But the reality is it's a professional environment. Uh, he knows what it's like to travel with a team, to go on the road, to have a high-stakes game between the EuroLeague title, between everything else that he's done this year. I mean, he's, he's had a phenomenal couple of seasons there and a couple of years really and I think it's, it's he's proven for people who have watched him play that he's capable of taking that next step in the NBA as well you know I, I winning that EuroLeague final is that's a legitimate experience that's a legitimate competition there's a lot of former NBA players and frankly a lot of I, Real Madrid could probably have beaten the Phoenix Suns like this there's a there's some bad NBA teams and there's some really good teams over there in Europe um, I don't discount that at all. I think Luka Doncic, given what his skill set is, um, building on what you're saying here, just is such a a more vital thing to have in today's game than a seven footer. And I look, I, I tweeted it out after the, the the draft lottery that I think Doncic should absolutely go number one to Phoenix. And a lot of people on Twitter hit me up and like, absolutely not. Aiton's the guy. Um, and I just. Look, what was I, their I rationale? Did they say anything specifically to point to it, why? They were just, it was dismissive. It was so dis- well, like I think no reasons. Yeah, just other, it, it, but, it, it's a little bit racist, right? I mean, there's a... A little bit. Yeah. It's a little racist. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's because, first of all, they don't... Wa- they've probably watched Aiden. They've seen his measurables. They know who he is. They don't know who Doncic is. They might just look at... They, they've And they may think of him as some, like, small European white guy just wanting to come over overseas and... And you, you know, he. This isn't Mario Hazonia. This isn't. This this is a legitimate. First of all, he's not small. He's six eight two thirty. Yeah. The guy's huge, and he's like nineteen years old or something. Eighteen, nineteen years old, and he's built like a tank. He can he could shoot threes. He can get to the rim. He's an amazing, incredible passer, and and he just wins everywhere he's been. He's been playing uh, traditional, or he's been playing professional basketball since he was 
a, a preteen. I mean, this guy just wins, and by winning the EuroLeague title, he's the best player on the best team in that league, won the MVP of, of the playoffs over there, and you just take all that experience, and I just, I want that guy on my team. Look, I, I like Aiton, it's nothing against him, but there's a lot of bigs in this draft, and I just don't know that with the way the league is going, I'd rather have the guy who could right. do stuff with the ball in his hands and create for others, and that's Doncic. I... Frankly, I don't. I don't even see it as a competition. I think he's quite clearly the number one player in this draft, and again, that's because of his skill set. Yeah, I have to agree with you 100. percent I, I mean, I, it's unfortunate that even today, after so many Euro, European players have come in there, and, and there's no. That's the whole thing too, is that we're using this one umbrella to describe them. It's like, oh, a European player. What the hell does that even mean anymore? It's like there are so many different types of players. There are European players that specialize in defense. There are European playmakers. There are European centers. I mean, you look at Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, you know, you look at Goran Dragic. You look at Nick Batum, etc. I mean, all these guys. Mm-hmm. They play different games. They all happen to come from some part of Europe. But that's like saying uh, there's a, a North American player. It's, you know, it, it's it's very vastly different. It's a it's an archaic label, and we should forget about that that line of thinking. Now, you you brought up Hazonia as an interesting case study. There, uh, I think the one thing that you could look to as a difference between Hazonia and Doncic is, well, you know what, Hazonia didn't play when he was in the Euroleague. He was a, a still young player, and he wasn't really getting a lot of burn there. He wasn't really a fully formed guy. He he had some, you know, he had the confidence and the some would say arrogance. That kind of sold the sizzle a little bit more, but he didn't have quite the stake that people were looking that's for. That's a that's a good point. He wasn't proven, right? Yeah. He was a prospect. He was like a he was a talent gamble, but but Doncic has proven it at a high level. I mean, not only has he won the Euroleague title this time, he won the Euroleague Cup with or, or the EuroBasket Cup with Goran Dragic this last summer, and I mean, the Phoenix head coach. Right? Yeah, with the Phoenix head coach, we haven't even mentioned that. Um, and that just makes all the sense in the world. I just I think that he'll be the number one pick. I really don't see a reason why he shouldn't be. And I think he'd fit beautifully with Devin Booker and Josh Jackson and everything that they've got going there. I think that if you take Doncic at number one, you've got a really bright future. And I think that it's just the obvious move for, for Phoenix. But we'll see what they do. Um, let's move on. The Warriors blew out the Rockets in game three. Will the Rockets bounce back like they did after game one? We'll talk about that next but first, don't forget that in addition to the daily Locked On NBA show, the Locked On Podcast Network also has a daily show for your favorite NBA team. So go ahead and subscribe to your team's channel on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. By subscribing to both Locked On NBA and your favorite team's show, you'll be covered with everything that you need to know. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Every game of Rockets-Warriors has been a blowout so far, and with the Warriors holding a 2-1 lead in the series... Game four is about as pivotal, uh, pivotal of a game as it gets for the Rockets, and luckily for them, Andre Iguodala likely out for the game. How big of a hit would that be for the Warriors now that Iguodala has slid into that starting lineup? I think it's a huge benefit for the Rockets, to be honest with you, and a huge detriment to the Warriors. He changes so much of what the Warriors do defensively. Um, he was the one who was tasked with trying to slow down James Harden for much of the game. Uh, you know, he's a selfless player. He's the the veteran out there, obviously, the guy who kind of keeps things on an even keel there when you have the the high-risk passing of, a, of a, you know, Steph Curry and Draymond Green. Iggy's the guy that kind of keeps things 
again, focused on what they need to do, particularly on the defensive end there. Not to say that these guys are erratic or anything like that, but he just he, he provides another versatile defender out there that can slide one through five. He's strong enough to you know, handle a, a Clint Capella at center position for Houston, or he could cover Chris Paul if necessary. So um, that kind of versatility, that kind of veteran experience is certainly something that the Warriors have come to depend on. So I think this is a great opportunity for Houston to regain some momentum there. You know, after game one, I, I was probably, like many people, a little premature in saying that Houston didn't have a chance. Obviously, they came back in game two and then wound up looking so bad in game three. But this really does change things, I think. You know, obviously, somebody has to start in his place. So that's a big question there. Will they be able to kind of step in and provide some, that same kind of versatility or, or even provide the, the occasional opportunistic offense that Iguodala does? You know, I just don't, I don't know. Because I don't know that Iguodala has provided a whole lot of offense at all this series. Like, you know, defensively he does provide a bit there. And, and he's been a lot better in the playoffs than he was in the regular season um, on that end. And there's a leadership factor there. Absolutely. You know, he just has a calming presence. But I also look at, you know, it's small sample size, but the stats for when Kevon Looney has been on the floor for... For the Warriors have been really impressive. They've just been really good. He, he the, the Rockets are continuing to start Clint Capella as they should, and and despite the Warriors starting the Hamptons five, and with Iguodala out, I'd expect them to go with Looney in there. And Looney's done a decent job, and I, I just don't know that they're gonna see that much of a drop off. If you look, they're both Looney and Iguodala are both non shooters. No, the Rockets were never worrying about Iggy. They're not gonna worry about Looney, so it's not gonna make much of a difference from a spacing standpoint. And defensively, Looney gives him a little bit of a bigger body to put against Capella. And if the Rockets are going to win this series, Capella's going to have to play a big factor in there. And just having Looney on the floor is a way to combat that a little bit. Not that having Iguodala on the floor isn't, you know, because that way you're playing the the second iteration of the death lineup and you're able to just basically space the floor and, and run Capella off the floor. I just I think it's another way to answer that factor that the Rockets have. I don't know if it's going to be that big of a deal, but I'm also... I hesitate only because again, Iguodala's leadership factor. It just the, the the Warriors just tend to perform in big moments better when Iggy, when Iggy is on the floor there. Um, yeah, you see, but aside from the the impact on the floor there that Iguodala does or may not provide, there's also a trickle down effect if you start Looney. Like part of Looney's right. efficiency is him coming off the bench and providing those spot minutes. If he has to start, who who takes over when he has to come out? Do you yeah. stagger that line? I, I would wonder. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to run... Like, they played Jordan Bell a little bit. Yeah, I see him getting a a lot more minutes in Game 4. Yeah. David West will probably get some some first-half minutes. Quinn Cook maybe makes it See if West has it or not. Quinn Cook, I think, would be the the better option there. I think just let let Looney be your lone center. Otherwise, you know, be like the Rockets and don't have a backup center. Just play Draymond Green or Kevin Durant at the 5 when Looney's off the floor and play a guy like Quinn Cook, add some spacing to the floor... Or somebody else, um, just another perimeter player. I don't. I just don't see a reason why they should even play another backup center. I think Looney's your starting center, and then that's it. Uh, they could, you know, we, just to mention, they could go another option. They could play Nick Young in the Iguodala spot, maintain that small lineup with Draymond at the five. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a bad idea. I just don't know yeah. that you want to start the game with Nick Young and and basically give give the Rockets a bullseye to to target immediately. Yeah. Um, but look, I, I was at Rock, I was at Rockets practice today in the morning, and they seemed affable. They seemed like kind of like 
they didn't seem like that this game four was as big as big a deal as it was because if they lose game four, it's three one. It, it, this is for for uh, this is essentially a must win game for Houston. They weren't acting like it. They were very talkative. D'Antoni was laughing, talking with reporters, basically just saying that he hopes they play better um, in game four. Uh, but he did mention something interesting that they he thought that the Rockets settled too often just to try to target Steph Curry in pick and rolls and take advantage of him. And he thought that that got them out of their offense. And I thought that was a really interesting thing because, you know, we just got done talking about how LeBron just bullied Terry Rozier for, you know, three and a half quarters against Boston. But, and that was clearly Houston's game plan last game, but he thought that the the end result was too many many isolation Mm -hmm. plays. And and not enough ball movement, and he'd like to see more of a balance of that. I'd like, I think that's going to be a major adjustment that we see in Game Four is maybe less just picking on Steph Curry for the sake of doing it, and more read and react stuff that that, that stuff that Chris Paul and James Harden are, are so good at. But I mean, this is who they've been all season long, right? Isn't this the the point, the debate that that D'Antoni has been facing the playoffs that they are an ISO heavy team that they that just, just I think I don't think he has a problem with the isolations. He has a problem with the isolations that lead to bad shots. Okay. He wants those like he doesn't want people to shoot over Steph Curry just because it's Steph Curry, even if it's a contested shot. Okay. He wants them to go go in isolation, run the offense. But at the end result, that isolation might lead into a kick out to, you know, P.J. Tucker for a three-pointer or something. Now, did you get a sense that there's something wrong with Chris Paul because he did not look good in game three and some people are talking about him possibly being injured or certainly not at 100%? He's predictably refuting all of those things. But to me, I mean, he just looks like a a 30-plus-year-old six-foot point guard. I mean, he just looks like he's a veteran point guard. Um, James Harden has to be really great for them in game four. He just he has to be. That otherwise, Chris Paul, James Harden needs to go out. Well, he had twenty something points in Game Three. He needs to go out and score forty. Yeah, like he needs to have the night LeBron just had. Right. Yeah, and and Chris Paul can go out and and be the second banana. Right, because Capella's just, not going to give him anything in this series. Like he played, I think, a, a, an all time low. He only had twenty three minutes or something like that in Game Three, and and they've just completely yeah. taken him out. He's no longer a factor for Houston. I'd like to see the Rockets run Capella out there with Chris Paul a little bit more. Um, and make and just to make things easier for Chris Paul, you know, give him that lob threat that like that DeAndre Jordan presence that maybe he's used to, and and just doing that a little bit more. I think right. I, I looked it up this morning. I think uh, Chris Paul has played ten fewer minutes with Capella than James Harden has. Mm. Um, but James Harden's spending a lot of time with PJ Tucker, and that makes sense, right? Because you you want Harden to have the spacing that Tucker provides when he plays center. But maybe just give Chris Paul that lob threat. And create some instant offense that way when when those for those few minutes that James Harden's not on the floor, um, it'll be interesting to see what the Rockets do with their and lineup. That's, that's probably an offshoot of that whole kind of isolation too. It's not you're not running pick and yeah. roll with Capella. You're instead choosing to to go ISO heavy and focus on Steph Curry rather than looking for a way to exploit the matchup on a pick and roll situation with Capella. They're gonna need Capella if they're gonna win this series. I just I don't see I don't know what the road is if Capella doesn't have a a, a bigger game four and, and going forward. I just I don't see the roadmap for them to win it other than maybe Curry's ankle bothers him more and they just hit a bunch of threes. Like and that's maybe that's what they're banking on. Yeah. Um, and it's a, the last time you'll have an opportunity to knock off the Warriors before Capella goes and joins the Phoenix Suns to compliment Luka Doncic. <laughs> maybe. Uh, that's a good way to wrap this up. That's all we have for today. You can subscribe to Locked on NBA on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We'll be back next Tuesday. You can find us on Locked on Heat. In the meantime, John Corrales and Jake Madison got you on Locked on NBA tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes.